A very good morning to sisters in Christ and also to the friends that have joined us for today, both online as well as here in person. Uh, thank you for taking time to be with us this morning to worship together uh, despite the heavy rain that we have out there. It's always a pleasure to see all of you uh, this morning. And we are currently on a series of lessons uh, about preaching the word, the importance of preaching the gospel. And uh, Brian Tinsing started off this series by talking about they cease not to preach. We look at the example of the first century Christians, how they persevered in preaching despite the problems, the difficulties that are faced with. And then we also spoke about the word of God as a fire in the heart. How this fire is keeping us burning so that we will be compelled to preach God's word. And Brian Danny shared with us about the foolishness of preaching. That even though we preach the word, some people regard it as foolishness. They think it is a foolish message to preach about a dead man by one who is rejected. But we see that our preaching is important because preaching is about, about us. It's about preaching Christ. Preaching is not self-centered, but Christ-centered. And so following on from this series, today we'll be speaking on preach what is needed. To preach the thing that God wants us to preach. You know, our late founding father, uh, Lee Kuan Yew, uh, once shared in a party commemorative book, one of the key governing principles of the PAP. And he says, give clear signals. Don't confuse people. Okay, I think our, Kuan, our late Prime Minister had a lot of wisdom in the principles that he has when he founded the PAP and how he brought Singapore to his glory. And I think these are some things that we can learn from him, that when it comes to leadership, you must give clear directions so that people know how to follow. On the other hand, however, uh, the late US President Harry Truman once made a comment in a speech that he delivered in 1948 about the techniques that are used by his political opponents. And the principle they use is, if you can't convince them, confuse them. If you can't convince people of what you want to tell them, you make them confused so that they don't know who to follow, what to believe. You know, sad to say today, many religious leaders of today, they seem to follow favor, the latter principles, to confuse people. And today you see that there are so many denominations with so many doctrinal beliefs, so many practices that a lot of people are really confused. They don't know who to follow, who to believe. And some of these denominations, they use linguistic gymnastics, uh, which means that they twist the word, they use the word to, sub, to uh, support their ideas, their own belief. Okay, they use what they call new hermeneutics. That means the new hermeneutics, the word means to the science of interpreting the scriptures. So they try to redefine terms, reinterpret the scriptures in order to suit their own teachings, their own agenda. And sometimes they also use straw man arguments. Okay? Arguments that are founded on emotional appeals, they are not grounded upon the truth in the Bible. They use human logic, human reasoning to try to suggest why you should do this, why you should do that. But such is not what the Bible teaches. However, the Apostle Paul tells us that rather than to handle the word of God deceitfully, rather than to confuse people, he tells us we need to rightly divide the word of truth to give clear directions so that people will not be confused. And so in this morning's lesson, I should like to discuss what, how we are to preach, what is needed. What should we preach and what does God want us to say? The first thing I'll talk about is the right medium. To preach what is needed is to preach with the right medium. You know, today, there are people who do not preach with the right medium. They tend to look for revelation from God, but they are looking at the wrong places. For instance, today, they look for different uh, they look for revelation from God from all over the place. They look towards the weather. 
uh, today is today is a rainy weather. Oh, it's thundering. I mean, God is angry with us. We have done something wrong. Uh, this morning, I was just joking with my wife. Uh. My wife said, why every time we come to church, uh, it always rains. Uh. Last week rain, this week also rain. I said, oh, God is telling us that we need to leave the house early to avoid the rain because you're taking too long to get ready. Okay, but anyway, that's just joking. Uh. God doesn't tell us that, 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 that message that way. Okay? But today, people look for directions. Oh, I look at the tree. Uh, the tree has vitiated. Or it means that this is God's message to me. I look at the animal, you know, sometimes ancient tribes, they look at the animal, the entrails, how they, they turn out. Oh, this is God's message to me. Today, people want revelation from God, but they are looking at the wrong medium. In times past, God speaks through prophets. Okay? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, God, where sundry times and diverse manners speak in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. The New King James explains it more clearly. He says, God, where various times and in various ways speak in time past and, and speak in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So in ancient times, various times, various ways, God speaks to us. But notice the Bible says this is in times past. Long ago in the Old Testament, okay, we see that these are how God speaks to men. Okay, even in the first century, the church, God also speaks to men through prophets. Okay, but notice Olden days, yes, God speaks to men in various ways, in various means. One of which is through prophet. You'll recall that God speaks to men, prophets of old. For example, God told Jonah to preach at Nineveh, the word that I beat you. God speaks to men directly. But as you see later in this lesson, today God does not speak to us through prophets anymore. God will not send a direct message to a man to say, go and tell the church, this is what I want you to do. But yet today, people are still looking for revelations like that. They want to look for prophecies. They want to look for direct messages from God. Okay. And today, there are people who go to fortune teller. And one uh, the trend they're speaking about is tarot reading. Uh, okay. They read at the cards. The person will read from them and tell you, say, oh, this is God's message for you. They act as prophets. But you know, the interesting thing is that how can our faith be dependent on a pack of cards? And you notice that the tarot reader will not read your fortune two times. Uh. Why? First time, how one set of cards. Second time, you can guarantee it will never be the same set of cards. The message will be different. So how can we subject our lives to terror reading? Today, God does not speak to us through men directly. He does not speak to us through a pack of cards. There are also those who believe that God speaks to us through casting lots. Yes, in the olden days, God speaks through casting of lots. Okay? We see that Matthias was chosen by the casting of lots. When Jonah fled away from God, God told him to preach to the city of Nineveh. What did he do? He fled on a ship going to Tarshish. And on the journey, the ship met with a storm. And the sailors were wondering who is at fault. He cast not, the Lord fell on Jonah. And so Jonah admitted that God was angry with him. True, in times past, again we say, in various ways, various times, God speaks to men in, in times past. But not today. In ancient times, in the olden days, Bible says, the Lord is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. So yes, in the olden days, God reveals his will to men through casting of lots. He revealed his way to man through the Urim and the Tumim, which the priest helped in his respite to decipher God's will. But today, as you'll see later again, God does not speak to us through the casting of Lord. But I know today, people should turn to casting of Lord to, to know what is God's will. Eh? Okay. For instance, uh, you notice that uh, this is quite a familiar sign in Singapore. Eh? Chinese religion, we have what we call the fortune sticks. Okay. So they'll shake, 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 a stick come out. Okay. And then they'll go to the temple staff to decipher what does this stick mean. Okay. So, of, of course, people always hope that uh, it's a good good uh, outcome. Uh, okay. Usually, they'll ask, uh, ask uh, should I take this job or that job? Uh, should I go, uh, get, go after this girl or that girl? Ask for God's will uh, to get guidance on 
who should I choose? What should I choose? Okay. If they get a positive stick, means that oh, God favor your, your opinion, your, your, your question. If you get a negative stick, means God's answer to you is no. Okay. So that's how they look at God's will, based on the shaking of the stick. But the interesting thing is, you know what? When people try to shake a stick, uh, they shake up a negative stick. Yeah, this is not the answer I want. Uh. Okay, let me go to another temple and ask the question in another way. Maybe it's not the way, it's the way I ask, not clear enough. It's shaking shake. Oh, still negative. Maybe I go to the temple to get confirmation. Then you shake. Oh, positive stick. Oh, okay. My sincerity has moved on. Okay. So sometimes people want to get the answer they want and they look for justification. And they think that this stick can reveal God's will. But as you look at it again later, God does not reveal his way through the shaking of the sticks, through fortune telling. Of course, another one, so you know, it's quite common, is the moon block. Huh? You have two half crescent shape and then you turn. You shake and you turn. If it comes out, turn the sides. It means that answer is yes. If it comes out on the flat side, I think I was reading, if it says flat side, it means no. If it's on the round side, it's shaking, it looks like God is laughing at you. Uh, the question is unclear or he don't know what you're asking. So you ask again. Okay. So, but you see that this also is heavily skewed, skewed towards the yes answer uh, because left, uh, top and bottom, bottom and top, and then the shaking is you try again. So only one answer is no. Lah. So heavily stacked towards the yes answer. Okay. So again, people look for ways to look for God's will, want a direct answer from God. Thirdly, in times past also, God speaks to man through visions and through dreams. Okay. And look at what he says in uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. He says, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision and will speak to him in a dream. So yes, in times past, God speaks to man through visions, through dreams. Look at how Isaiah had a vision of God. Uh, John, uh, Paul was called to the third heaven in a vision of being called to the third heaven. John, when he wrote the, uh, the apocalyptic book of uh, Revelation, he also had a vision as well. And of course, God also speaks to man in dreams. We talk about how Solomon had a dream. Okay? And God asked him for, for what he wants. And he says he wants wisdom. And God granted him his request. Okay? And so today, sometimes people, when they have dreams, uh, they are wondering, is my dream a message from God? Uh? Why do I keep having this recurring dream? I think God is trying to tell me something. And then they go and look for dream interpreters to interpret their dreams for them. On the other hand, there are also some who look for mediums. Uh, okay? I want a message from my uh, my, my family member that has passed on. I want to know what they have to say to me. Or I want to get some counsel from divine divinity to find from God. And so they turn to mediums, whereby the medium came to go into a trance, to see visions, to bring messages from the deity to give to them. Okay. But of course, you know, the mediums also know Singaporeans are quite practical. Uh, okay. uh, if you give them a question to ask, people will ask, uh, what is the number that is coming up in tomorrow's total? Uh, which stock will rise, which stock will fall. So they tell you, oh, you cannot ask about things that will harm people. You cannot ask about things that will, uh, is for human greed, for personal gain. You can't ask this kind of question. Okay. So they give you answers to what you want to hear, and then that's how they make money from you. Okay. And of course, they also, if they cannot give you the answer, they will say, oh, this is heavily secret, uh, cannot reveal. Chinese say, uh, God has a secret, you can't know it, it's not for humans to know. Okay. So again, men go through various ways to look for God's will. But you know, the simple fact is that God has revealed his will to us. Instead of going through these mediums, okay, what is needed in these last days has been given to us. We have to look at the right medium. Okay. And what is this right medium? Okay. Look on to see what verse 2 and verse 3 have to say. So in times past, God speaks to man in various times and various ways. That's in time past. All the things we talked about earlier, through laws, through prophets, through dreams and visions. 
But notice what does verse 2 says? It's a contrast. Time spans, God speaks to man, yes, various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Notice God says very clearly, these last days. And what do you mean by last days? Okay. Well, Peter gives us an understanding. When you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17, he relates to the prophecy of Joel, okay, uh, about how they come to pass in the last days, where God shall pour his spirit upon all flesh. Okay. We're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit given to them in the first century. So the last days he referring to this current age, the Christian age. Generally speaking, the Bible is divided into three ages, as we know. The patriarchal age, the mosaical age, and the Christian age. The patriarchal age lasts from the time of Adam all the way to the time of Moses, where God deals with people as individuals. And the head of the household is the priest. That's why you see people like Abraham, like Job, they make offers, they sacrifices. Okay. By the time of Moses to the time of Christ is the mosaical age, okay, where God dealt with people as a nation. The Jewish nation were his chosen people. And the priests during that period of time were the Levites. How about today? Today is the last days because there is no more age after that. The Christian age, God deals with us universally. Anyone, everyone can be a child. Not just the chosen people, not just a particular nation, not just the Jews or the Israelites. Gentiles are welcome into the kingdom. And today, all Christians are priests as 1 Peter 2 verse 9 tells us. So the Bible says in these last days, in the last age, the Christian age, God speaks to us, how? Through his son. And we'll look at what does he mean by speaking to us by his son. But he goes on to say that Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things, so Christ is the heir of all things, and through Christ he made the world. And being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The express image means that Christ is the very image of God, because Christ is God himself. In the Godhead there are three persons, three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So of course the Son is referring to our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that Christ is the image of God. So I think it's very valid, it's very true that when Christ brings the message to us, it is God's message to us. Consider how God speaks through Jesus. When Jesus was on earth, he says, I speak not of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. So notice in times past, yes, God speaks to men directly. But today, no longer directly, it's through his son, through Jesus. When Jesus came here, he revealed God's message, God's will to us. But today, you can say Jesus is no longer with us. How then can I know God's will? Well, we see that Jesus actually sent the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. Okay? In John 15 verse 26, Jesus says, When the Comforter is come, whom I will send you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. So notice Jesus said that he will send the Holy Spirit and he's speaking to the apostles. And so we have the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles. And what does the Holy Spirit supposed to do? Jesus continues to say in chapter 16, verse 13 of John, the book of John, how be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. So notice the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that when the Holy Spirit come upon the apostles, they shall know all truth. How much truth? Bible says all truth. Whatever God wants men to know, whatever God wants us to know of his will, Jesus has revealed to his apostles through the sending of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 37, that if many men think that his preacher, let him acknowledge the things I write unto you are the commandments of the law. Whatever the apostles write down, they are actually direct, direct commands from Jesus, given to them through the Holy Spirit. And of course today, we don't have Jesus with us today, but we have his word. 
the Bible. So this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 to verse 5. He says, how that by revelation, what did you say earlier? Revelation through the Holy Spirit. How that by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery. So the mystery has been revealed to the apostles. You know, sometimes we are very fearful of the word mystery. Yeah. We think that mystery means something you cannot understand, you can never know. But mystery doesn't mean that. Uh. Mystery is something that is hidden. You read the mystery novel, you may not know what is happening. But towards the end, when the ending is revealed, you know the, the whole plot. No one wants to read a mystery novel where by the end of everything, you still say, I don't know what is happening. Uh. Uh, that's really quite a lousy novel. I think nobody wants to buy that. But you want to be intrigued. You want to guess. But ultimately, you want to know the answer. That's what it means by mystery. At the point in time when it's not revealed, the people do not know God's will. They do not know God's plan of salvation. But notice what Paul continues to say. He says he knows the mystery that is revealed to him, and he wrote in a few words. So he wrote down the words. And when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So is this mystery incomprehensible? Is this mystery too difficult for us to know? Not true. Because Paul says when you read, you can understand the knowledge of the mystery in Christ. So this mystery means that it's something that is hidden, that is not revealed. But when Paul writes it down, when Peter writes down the words, when John writes down the word, they are now revealed to us. When we read them, the Bible says, you may understand. And it says in verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. Remember, it's all about three different ages. Christian age, we are living in today. But do you know that the plan of salvation was not known to the patriarchal age, to the mosaical age? They know that the Messiah will come. But you know, to the Jewish mind, they always think of an earthly Messiah, a king that will liberate them, just like the kings of old, King David, the great kings of old, King David, King Solomon. They will liberate them, deliver them to prosperity. That's why the Jews always misunderstand about the kingdom. They were always looking for a physical kingdom. Even though a lot of Jesus has said, my kingdom is not of this world. In John chapter 18, verse 36. So Jesus has revealed to us the history for today. Today in the Bible, we know what people of old did not know. The patriarchs, the, the people in the time of Moses, they were looking for towards the coming of the Messiah. But today, we have this mystery that revealed. And now it says, it is now revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. And what is this mystery? If you look on in verse 6, it talks about how the Gentiles should be valued as of the gospel of Christ and how they are the partakers of the promises of God. So the mystery is that now the Gentiles have been accepted into God's kingdom. Today, salvation is granted to Gentiles. Gentiles means those who are not, not Jews, those who are not part of God's people, the, the people of Israel in times past. These are the Gentiles. But now salvation is open freely to every man. Again, this is a mystery. Uh, because you know that in the Jewish mind, they always think that salvation is for them exclusively. They rejected the Gentiles. In fact, when Peter went to the house of Cornelius, he accused him. How can you go to eat with men who are uncircumcised? These are people who are unclean, who are sinful. How can you go to associate with them? But it's not true because God's, God's will was that salvation shall go to the Gentiles. And so today, God has given to us His will to the right medium. And when we preach, we need to preach with the right medium, with the gospel of God. Because God's word is manifested through preaching. Today, you want to know God's will? Don't go and look towards the sky. Don't go and look towards the seas. Look towards the Bible. His written message to us. As Titus chapter 1 verse 3 tells us, in due time, he has manifested this word through preaching. So as Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how shall they hear without a preacher? So in order for the lost to know God's will, we can't depend on God telling them directly, on God giving them a vision. That will no longer happen. People must go and preach God's word. Christians, us, 
We need to bring the gospel to them and so they can be exposed to the word of God. And so we talk, think about when we think, when we talk about the right medium, okay, we are talking about the avenue of preaching, and that is what is needed. Secondly, when we preach what is needed, we also need to preach the right message. You know, today some may preach with the right medium, okay, they through preaching, but they do not preach with the right message. They claim to preach from the Bible, but the message that they preach is not true. You wonder how can that be so? If I'm preaching from the Bible, how can the message not be the right message. Well, today some have resorted to cunningly devised fables. And the apostle Peter says that we have not followed cunningly devised fables. But today there are people who try to preach such things. They preach things that are fables that are not from God. They preach and they speak where God has not spoken. So they turn to the Bible, but they add their own ideas, their own philosophies into the Bible. Take for instance, the doctrine of theistic evolution. We know that these are two opposing viewpoints. How did the world come to existence? One viewpoint is God created the world, as the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The other worldview is that there is no God. Everything just comes as a result of Big Bang, and then it evolved to the state that they are today. So these are two opposing viewpoints. But some people in wanting to please the world and to please those who are seeking for the truth, they will say that let's combine the two ideas together. Let's have theistic evolution. So God created the world. He created the Big Bang, and then he allowed the world to evolve to the form that it is today. And then they look to the Bible and they insert the ideas into it. They look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and when God created light on the first day. And you say that, oh, between these two days, there are actually a couple of years that God returned inside. And between the first day, the second day, the second day, the third day, each of these days, it's not a literal day. It's actually billions or billions or billions of years or so. So they say, oh, evolution has taken its place. You see that God, when created this, he allowed time for them to evolve. Well, that is not true because the Bible keeps telling us after each day of creation, the evening and the morning were the first day, the evening and the morning were the second day. The Bible defines it as evening and morning is one day. It's a 24-hour day. So we see that these are not what the Bible says. People speak where God has not spoken. They insert their human ideas, even though they may, they may claim to return to the Bible but they add on the ideas into the Bible. And such is not the right way to deal with scriptures. And so this is the wrong message. On the other hand, there are also those who go through that private interpretation. Again, the people say that I'm using a right medium. I'm going to the Bible. I'm going to God's word. But they use private interpretation. As Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 20, knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. You know, today there are a lot of differences in a lot of beliefs, understanding. Oftentimes, the people will be asked them about that. They will say, oh, it's your interpretation. It's my interpretation. But the Bible tells us there is no such thing as private interpretation. The Bible is written for us. Remember, we say earlier, it's for us to understand. We read and we understand. And we can only have a full understanding if we look at it in totality. We cannot pick and choose scriptures and take them out of context. We must go through the context to understand the full picture. So earlier, we talked about those who preach about cunningly devised fables. They speak where God has not spoken. But people who go through private interpretation, they are actually the opposite. They are silent when God has spoken. Whatever God has revealed to us, they, don't, they overlook these scriptures and they come up with their own theories, their own doctrine. Take for instance, the doctrine of premillennialism, which we have gone through in our mini classes. Okay? Uh, Brother Danny and Brother Tessie spoke to us uh, very good lessons about it, uh, showing that the Bible does not speak about such a doctrine. 
You know, Prime Minister speaks about how God will set up a physical kingdom of earth and rule for a thousand years. But they ignore clear passages. Okay? But God tells us, when Jesus says earlier in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not a physical kingdom. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus makes a very clear point. He says, think about it. If my kingdom is of this world, why should I be crucified? I can raise up an army. They can fight for me. And I will, I will not be delivered to the Jews. In fact, we look about how, how Jesus uh, asked Peter to put away his sword. Remember, Peter, uh, Peter was so zealous for him, wanted to defend him. Peter's, Jesus said, put away your sword. He said, if I want to call an angel, and they can destroy the world. They call the 12 angels of angels, and can destroy everybody. We look about how powerful an angel was. Remember, against Assyrians, God sent one angel to kill 185,000 Assyrians. So if God wanted, if Jesus wanted, he could call an army to destroy the world, and he would have been a physical king. But Jesus says that is not the way, because his kingdom is not of this world. Christ has revealed this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, but people want to make it a physical kingdom. And Christ says what will happen when he comes again. 2 Peter 3 verse 10 says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall melt with a, a wave of great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth and the books that are therein shall be burned up. When Jesus comes, there will no longer be a place to array, because the earth will be burned up. But people who believe in premillennialism, they'll say, oh, that's not true, because Jesus will come on this earth, set up a physical kingdom, and then he will reign for a thousand years. How is that anything to reign when the earth already shall be burned up when Jesus comes? So you see people preach the wrong message. They look at verses, they take revelations, which the book written in signs and symbols. They take the figurative and make literal and come up with their opening. So even though people say they preach from the Bible, but notice they resort to private personal interpretation, they resort to cunningly devised tables where God has not spoken, they try to add their own ideas. But when we preach, we need to preach with the right message. Okay. What is needed is the right message. We need to preach the word of prophecy that is given to us. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19-21 to says, We also have a more sure word of prophecy. Notice Peter compares those who preach with cunningly devised fables and those who preach of private interpretation. Peter says, we have a more sure, a more certain word of prophecy. Uh, you know, you know our, our Singaporean lingo will say confirm plus shock, but this word is definite, it's confirmed already. Okay. Don't look at all these uh, people, doctrines of people. Look at the sure word of prophecy. And verse 19 says, Wherein you do well that you take it as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So the word of God will shine light into darkness. And so that's why it says in verse 20, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So today what we need is actually the sure word of prophecy. The message from God's first, the truth that is revealed to us. The whole truth and not part of it. Because the Bible tells us that the message that comes from God are from inspired men who are moved by the Holy Spirit. It comes from God himself and not from man's ideas. And why is the right message so important? The Bible is important because the Bible declares all the counsel of God. As Paul says in Acts 20, 17, they have not shown to declare all the counsel of God. When he writes to us, he has revealed God's word to us. Notice the key word, all. Uh, okay. So is there anything that God wants us to know, anything we want us to know about his field that has not been revealed? No, because the Bible says all the counsel of God has been declared to us. And the Bible okay, also contains all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
Okay. And second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us. So all that we need to live in this life, to be godly, to be pleasing to God, all of it has been revealed to us. Everything God wants us to know has been given to us. Everything that we need to know to be holy has been revealed to us. And lastly, the Bible tells us that the Bible is once for all, the faith is once for all, delivered unto the saints. Okay. Once for all, one time for all time. God does not make multiple revelations. He does not make continuous revelation. But this revelation is once for all. In the first century, as completed, and today, we have the complete revelation of God's word. And so, brethren, we need to preach what is needed. We need to preach the right message, because with the right message, souls are saved through the gospel. Human wisdom, human logic, human thinking will never save men. But the gospel saves men. We need to preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so we talk about two things that we need to preach. When we preach what is needed, we preach with the right medium, we preach with the right message. And the third thing when we preach what is needed is to preach with the right method. Today, there are people who preach with the wrong method. They preach with the right message, they go to the Bible, but for the wrong method. This means that they are using it for the wrong purpose. You may ask, how so? If I'm preaching from the Bible, how can it be with the wrong purpose? Well, you see, there are people today that preach it for the wrong reason, for their own selfish ambition, their own selfish desires. In Second Peter, sorry, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul warned about peril of uh, perilous times that will come, dangerous times that will come. And in verse 30, it talks about these times will happen, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. There'll be evil men, they'll be worse and worse. And he says that they will be deceived and being deceived. So there'll be times that will come in, uh, where Paul wants of it, that where people will come and deceive us. And deceive us with false teachings, with things that are, they preach according to the Bible, but for their own selfish gain, their own selfish motives. So today that people may preach the right message, but they don't use the right method or with the right purpose. For instance, Paul speaks about people, evil men, who are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So there are people today who preach out of, out of uh, their own pleasure. So what they do is that they preach too little of God's word. Okay, you may have gone to uh, places where people claim that they are worshipping God. But you see that the preaching of the message it may be a five-minute sermon. But the rest of it is performances, concerts, things that excite people, appeal to the emotion. Yes, they may have preaching from God's word, but it's too little of God's word. The main purpose is entertainment rather than edification. Or you can have people who preach, come out to preach. The first part, they relate to a verse. The rest of it talks about personal experience, personal testimonies, talk about what they think, what they feel, talk about politics, talk about entertainment. Only at the beginning, they talk about God's word. At the ending, they conclude with the same message. But in between, it's not about God's word. Again, such is not the preaching that God wants us to have. So people today, they preach too little of God's word. On the other hand, there are those that preach too much of God's word. Okay, you may be very curious, uh, is there such a thing of too much of God's word? Uh? I thought the more of God's word, the better it is. Okay? Well, let me explain. The Bible again warns of evil men who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. So when I talk about too much of God's words, I'm meaning that too much vain repetition. You know, sometimes people take the Bible as a form of ritual. Uh, it's like a chant. Okay? So when they look at God's word, they just like reading. Monotonous reading. No explanation, no nothing. Just reading. And then they treat it like a chant. They recite the Lord's Prayer over and over again. 
Okay. Some people say that, oh, you have to keep saying the same words so that God will hear our prayers. It's very repetition. And Jesus warns us against using that in Matthew chapter 6. So again, it seems very godly, it seems very holy. But the whole service becomes like a ritual, like a ceremony, like a liturgical ceremony that is used in certain denominations. And thirdly, when there are some who also preach the wrong method, in that they preach out of corrupt minds. Okay. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 says, Now as Jens and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these resist the truth. Evil men will resist the truth. They are men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. Okay. The New King James word uses the word disapprove concerning the faith. So these people are corrupt minds and they are disapproved of God. So today people can use the Bible, came to use the Bible, but they abuse the texts. They use the abuse the text. They take the verse and use it to uh, out of the context. Even the devil can quote scriptures, right? Remember, he quote from scriptures and thus Jesus jumped down from the top of the tabernacle, of the, sorry, the top of the uh, the pinnacle of the temple. He said that the angels will leave up you up, lest you uh, lest you feed or uh, feed against a stone. Okay? So he quoted from Psalms. Even the devil can quote from scriptures, but he's taking scriptures out of context because Jesus reminded him that you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And today, there are people who take verses out of context to justify their means. Again, they are redoing owing for scriptures, but for their own selfish and personal objectives and agenda. Consider today, we know that there is a, a, a very hot topic. It's about the topic of homosexuality. Yeah. Okay. Uh, even their churches, they actually come out in support of homosexuals. Okay. Uh, this is actually a picture uh, of a parade that is, that is carried out by Christians. Uh, in Manila, so-called Christians in Manila. Okay. And you notice that they actually found that they are actually quoting from scriptures as well. Uh. Okay. You notice that Patriot is all over here. Uh. Quote from Psalms. Uh, okay, I can't see Kelly here. Psalm 139, sorry. Psalm 139 verse 14, where the Bible says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay. And they say that, oh, this is support of homosexuality. God made you into homosexual. Well, consider the context. Who spoke this? David spoke this. Is David a homosexual? No, he has many wives but he was never married a man. So this is not a support of homosexuality. But he's talking about how God's power they can create us in such a wonderful way. Our human body is a marvelous invention. We can heal, our bodies can heal ourselves. We grow, we have intelligence. All these are given to us by God. That's why he talks about God's power. His omnipotence in creating man. When we compare with other verses like Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29, it tells us that God had made man upright. But man is the one who seek out many inventions. When God created man, he did not create man to be perverse or to be crooked or to be sinful. But it is man that they grow up, they seek out a lot of inventions, a lot of ideas, a lot of false teachings. Men do that, not from God. So you notice that even people can use scriptures and take out of context to justify their own agenda. So today, what is needed is not all these methods, purposes of using the scripture. But what we need is to learn the Holy Scriptures. As Paul tells Timothy, that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Rather than to use the, the, the Bible for other means that we talked about earlier, for entertainment, as a ritual, or even for their own selfish agenda. Paul gives four purposes how the Scriptures are to be used. And look at them in the next few slides. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for four things. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And what is the goal? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good works. So the Bible, when it's used correctly, it makes us complete. It makes us perfect. 
and it equips us for every good work. And let's look at the four ways that the Bible should be used. Firstly, it talks about four doctrines. The word doctrine is from the Greek word didaskalia, which means teachings or precepts. It's the same word that is translated in Romans 12 verse 7 as teaching. So the Bible is being used for teaching, to help people to know God's will, to know what God wants us to do, to know God's nature. Bible, we use it to teach people. Secondly, Bible is used for reproof. The word reproof is from the Greek word elekos, which means a proof by that by which a thing is proved or tested. And this word is interesting because it's actually translated in Hebrews 11 verse 1 as the word evidence. So the Bible is used for evidence. And that's how we preach to people to teach them about existence of God. It's not the blind, superstitious faith that we have. But we can show evidence from the Bible that even though we can't see God, we can see the principles. Hebrews 3 verse 4 tells us, Every house is built by some man, but he that buildeth all things is God. We show evidence. We can see that in nature. When there is a cause, there must, when there is an effect, there must be a cause. The universe is an effect. Where is the cause? We talk about how we can know about Jesus, the Son of God. Again, we prove it. We use that evidence. The miracles that Jesus did. The things that he taught. The professional things that he taught. We talk about how John the Baptist bear witness of him. A lot of people bear witness of him. Of his resurrection from the dead. All these are verified with proof and evidence. So the Bible, one way we can use is to prove, show people that it is indeed God's word. Christianity is true for how we should be saved. All this we can prove from God's word. The third thing we can use the Bible for is for correction. The word correction means to restore to an upright or right state. You see, the Bible is not just for teaching, for academic knowledge, for me to know, to learn, and then to feel good about the knowledge I have. But the Bible is also to correct us. It means that if I go on the wrong road, go astray, I use the Bible to correct on my brethren to help them to come back to the right path, to be in a right relationship with God. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 1, that if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of weakness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Paul says, restore them with weakness. And how to restore people? We have to show them God's word. I want to help you to change. It's not because of what I gave for me, but it's because what God wants us to do. So the Bible is used to correct people. And lastly, the Bible is used for instruction. The word instruction is from the Greek word paideia, which means instruction which aims at increasing virtue. So it's not just to correct people, but to help people to grow, to be spiritual mature, to be a better person, to be a better Christian each day of our life. Again, it's interesting because this word is used in Ephesians 6 verse 4. Oftentimes, I think about children, uh, we need to nurture them, help them to be better. But do you realize the Bible is also to nurture us? Uh, no matter how old we are, uh, even if you are 70 years old, 80 years old, the Bible still nurtures us, helps us to grow. So these are the right ways that we use the Bible for. Not for entertainment, not for rituals, not for our own ideas. But use it for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And we need to preach what is needed with the right method. Because with this right method, Christians then today can live soberly, righteously, and godly through teaching. As Titus 2 verse 12 tells us, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So this world has a lot of distraction. This world is a lot of wickedness. And Christians, as we go through each day, we find very burned, very, uh, very burned down, uh, very weary, and uh, very burned out. Okay? We have deal with a lot of problems, a lot of distractions in life. But how do we keep going? We need to use God's word to strengthen us, to equip us, to reframe our thinking so that we can be able to live right 
before God. And so, brethren, in this morning's lesson, we have discussed about what is needed. What is needed is the right medium. You want to know God's will, don't go through to a mediums, don't go through uh, go through using uh, the, what you call it, the prophecies and all this. Don't use dreams and visions. But we only know God's word that is revealed through the preaching of his word. Not just we have the right medium. We need to preach what is needed with the right message. We need to look at the Bible, the word of God. Again, we have to go to the gospel. Don't look at fables. Some people like to read what people say. A lot of commentaries. They tell you a lot of stories. But these are not edifying. These are not helpful. People who give their own private interpretation. This does not help. We need to look at the totality of God's word to know the truth. And we need to preach with the right method. That is, for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word of God is to teach us, not to entertain us or to make us feel good. You might ask, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? Well, preaching is more proclaiming God's word. But teaching is more than that. Teaching means you need to instruct them, you need to educate them, you need to expound to them to help to understand. And then people can apply God's word into our lives. And so when we talk about preach, what is needed? I think these three things are things that we need to bear in mind when we preach the word of God. I'd like to end my story, my sermon with an anecdote. Huh? The anecdote is told of a young man who has just started preaching. And he was worried about the criticism that he will face from a very cultured congregation that he's faced with. And so what he did was that he sought out an old experienced preacher for advice and told him of his concerns. You see, he was facing a dilemma. He asked him, Sir, I find it, I find it hard to outline a sermon that I can preach to these people. Because if I cite anything from geology, there is Professor A, the geology professor who is before me. If I try to use an illustration for history, there is Professor B, ready to trip me up. But if I choose English literature for some allusion, I'm afraid the whole English department will rise up and challenge me. What shall I do? The old and wise minister simply replied, preach the gospel, my son. He probably know very little about that. You know, a lot of times we are very concerned uh, about peppering our sermons with humor, with stories, that we neglect what is most important. What is most important is the preaching and expounding of gospel. A lot of times we think that a good sermon is an entertainment that is entertaining. We confuse entertaining with edifying. Edifying is something that will build us up, help us to grow in knowledge, even prick us, because you hurt, that we feel very uncomfortable. Sometimes people like things that feel comfortable, make them feel happy. We like to our ears to be tickled with stories, with illustrations. But remember, we need to preach what is needed. So today, as according to the illustration that I used earlier, I think that Christians know very little about gospel. We know more time, we know more about entertainment, about fashion, and about politics than the Bible. Today, there are people who know probably know more about the divorce lawsuit of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, all the salacious details that they know about God's law concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They probably know more about the latest fashion trends, why is, why is in fashion what to wear, than they know about God's laws of modesty, God's standards of modesty. And today, ask people, recently we talked a lot of news about the British monarchy. People are very familiar with that. They can tell you who is the queen's cousin's son or nephew. All this can tell you. But they don't know about the kings of Israel and Judah. Who is Solomon? Huh? Whose son? I don't know. Never hear about him. Today, it's quite a shame that we know more about all these things of the world than about the Bible. And so, brethren, let us go back to being people of the book to preach what is needed. As God told Jonah, Jonah 3 verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. 
Preaching doesn't have to be fancy food to be a very long. In fact, Jonah just preached a sermon of Abel's son. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The whole city repented. What is most important is people must hear God's word rather than to be entertained. And to my friends, I hope today this lesson has helped you to understand what is needed to save you. The Bible tells us in James 1 verse 21 to lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with bigness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Will you put away your sins to receive the implanted word that will save your souls? The plan of salvation has been given to us. Okay, but I know I've shown these slides a few times, uh, uh, quite familiar. But let me just share with you how does God want us to be saved? Well, God has done his part, sending his son to die for us. Jesus has shed his blood, that the Holy Spirit has revealed his word to us. Remember earlier I told you that the Bible, the gospel is to be used for four ways when teaching. For reproof, for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. For doctrine, we need to hear the gospel. We need to know what is God's will for us. We need to be taught the word of God. For reproof, reproof is to give evidence. And so with all the evidence that's provided in the Bible, we urge you to believe the gospel. If you require more evidence, you want to know more about the evidence that is provided, let us know. Be glad to share that with you. And then, for correction as well. The Bible teaches us so that we can repent of our sins. Whatever we have done wrong before God, we have to change our lives to make ourselves right with God. And also, the Bible is for instruction. When we know what, do, what God wants us to do, we'll do the rest. We'll confess our faith in Christ. We'll baptize for remission of sins, and then we'll be faithful unto that. The Bible, as we learn, it helps us to grow in virtue so that we can be better people, we can be faithful to God, and ultimately, when we live this life, we will go back to heaven to spend an eternity with God. Thank you again, once again, my friends and brethren, for joining us for this morning's worship. If any of you would like to respond to the gospel, uh, to make yourself right with God, we urge you to come forward as Amos does in the hymn of invitation and encouragement, I am resolved. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have alert my sight. I will hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Yes, I will come to thee. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one, he is the just one, he hath the words of life. I will hasten to him. Hasten so glad and free, Jesus, greatest highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. He what He saith, do what He will he is the living way. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest highest, I will come to thee.
I am resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me, foes may beset me, still will I enter in. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest highest, I will come to thee.